Hi, TX Water Polo fans. What follows is an experiment in using a new app to record voices, and you will hear that it did not go exactly as planned. My voice gets all chattery. Joe's sounds fine. Who knows why? I'm not sure whether we're going to use that app again. We'll find out. But just to let you know beforehand that it's subpar as usual. But as always, thanks for being listeners of the TX Water Polo Podcast. Here you go. We're the TX Waterfall Podcast. I'm James Smith in Austin. Jenny Minahan is in his office in San Antonio. It's still weird to say that you're in San Antonio. I mean, I mean, I know you don't think so, but uh, you've been North Texas to me for so long that that, that it's a it's a bit of a change. No, it's still it's still a little strange, and I've been up and down to North yeah to North Texas a few times. Well, yeah, I mean, even, yesterday even since it moved. Yeah, I was actually in North Texas. Yeah, maybe we should um, cover that in one of the segments. Is just I don't know if there's anything uh, of it just to talk about your your no no there. yeah no it's all good but like it's just you know there's still stuff to take care of. We still have a couple umbrella clubs up there, which are our developmental clubs for USA Water Polo, and you know and just you know you just got to do some stuff. So it's good. Yeah, and train them exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so we'll cover a couple of things today. Like uh, we're going to have a conversation, or, or Joe is going to have a conversation with Chris Jones, who's an aquatics director at the in Cypher. Um Their pool, I should say, parenthetically, has been very good to PP. Just for to put that out there, he's been super helpful in that regard. But he's also of Tiska, so he's got some insights into the decision making behind the UIL thing, and just, just about the the past and future of Tiska. Um, we wanted to begin with uh, news uh, that uh, my colleague uh, Michael Michael Randazzo wrote about, unfortunately on another website. But he's uh, he's going to produce more, more for Total Water Polo soon. But anyway, Andy Burke, he's a well-known figure in the water community. He was 91 and he died uh, a couple days ago. Um, he was long time the chair of the Pacific Zone. And, uh, in, you know, he, he's uh, accumulated all these accolades. He was uh, inducted into the Inter- International Swimming Hall of Fame in 2018, and uh, he was part of the Olympic Club for, for, for dog's years. But, uh, but he also had at least a tenuous connection with Texas. I think your family actually interacted with him. Is that right? Yes. Um, I mean, so for those that don't know, Andy Burke was pretty much like kind of led the water polo group at at the Olympic club, which is up in San Francisco for years and years. He played back in the 1950s. Um, I, I think he was in the like the international swimming hall of fame as well as the USA water polo hall of fame. And I mean, he's just, he, he's kind of like a legend. He's been around for a long time. He, you know, we wouldn't necessarily, I mean, he's one of those people that, you know, you go back and he, ne- he wasn't necessarily on the pool deck refing and coaching, but he was behind the scenes Doing a lot of groundwork, like a lot of foundation building for the like the growth of the sport across the country. Just you know, just laying the foundation of what USA Water Polo yeah became. Right. I mean, he was one of the people that kind of led it, but like back in the day, whenever it was just an AAU sport into a, the USA Water Polo, and even helping uh, kind of uh, um, you know the like like the first like USA water polo kind of organization that kind of came about 
with with the USOC back in the uh, late seventies and, and and early eighties. But yes, um, my dad, uh, who was a treasurer for USA Water Polo back in the nineties, um, he was good friends with Andy Burke. So I got to know Andy Burke kind of a little bit, and he was always a very good guy and, and uh, very good to Texas. And he was always and he always wanted to to, to kind of see the growth of water polo across the country. So yeah, my yeah my dad got to know Andy Burke uh, very very well. So. How did your dad get involved in the sport? My dad was one of those uh, involved parents that wanted to go on a trip and was a chaperone. And then he just, and then he went to a USA Water Polo meeting. For those that don't know, USA Water Polo used to have a couple meetings a year where um, all the where all the zones would yeah would send representatives and they would do all the business of USA Water Polo at like like at these meetings. So we always needed different uh, representatives. And he would always go represent the Southwest Zone, and um, and then all of a sudden he got put on some committees, and he actually helped write the rules—not the rules of water polo, but more like the bylaws and yeah. policy procedures and stuff like this. And then, uh, and then eventually he became not the treasurer of USA Water Polo. I was wrong. The secretary, right? right? The secretary of USA yeah. Water Polo. And actually, it's kind of funny. I'm going to make fun of my own family here for a second. But like oh. he um, and my dad, God rest his soul, like um, he uh, he used to do the. Uh, like the roll call. And as everybody that is listening to this knows that I have a little bit of a stammer and stutter here and there. And my dad was probably 10 times worse than mine. So, and it would just be a very long roll call sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's super interesting because I didn't have any, I, I mean, does that mean it's hereditary? I have no idea. I never I, thought I, about that. I don't know. Yeah. But like, but like, no, I mean, this was, this was, this was back in the old USA water pool days. This is yeah. back before the mid 2000s. I mean that, and that's how I got involved with USA Warpole. I was, I mean, like you know, I was going to these meetings when I was, when I was 22 years old. Yeah. And uh, was it there were like there was a meeting down in down 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 in San Antonio, and kind of some of the representatives from the Southwest Zone kind of couldn't go, so they called me up, and I was a senior at A and M, and they said, "Hey, Joe, can you come on down?" I go, "Sure." So I went and sat in on meetings. Yeah. And like like they basically had like an events meeting. They had a rules meeting. They had, um, you know, just um, like a coaches meeting um, over a like a two or three day weekend, and they would get all the like they would get all the all the um, all the business tried to be done, and they would try to set the calendar for, for the next year, um, and then the they, that all those decisions would go then to the national staff, which at the time was only a handful of people, right, um, and uh, and then they would try to get the work done, like, and then the staff would kind of. You know, kind of handle things. Yeah, yeah. Between the meetings, they used to have two meetings a year: a winter meeting and a summer meeting. And these are volunteers, right? These are all volunteers, and then they would be paid for. Um, like you know, there was each zone had their own budgets and yeah. their own bank accounts, and they would and they would pay for the volunteers to travel and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not certain that a lot of people understand just how different the organization is than it used to be. Um, the Bulk of, of the growth of this sport has taken place, I would say, after 2005 when, or 2004-ish when there was a, a – is that right? But there was a big change in the organization then. It became more professional. People started getting paid. Before that, you just had a, a – you know, I'm simplifying, but you had a bunch of uh, very active volunteers – and, you know, your organization is going to be simply different under those conditions than it is if you're uh, in a corporation or, or a, co- a, corpor- a corporation, uh, even if it's a nonprofit, right? I mean, it's like yeah. the, things have just changed uh, dramatically. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's not just different, but I believe it's much better. And I've, and I was, and I've went through both of them, right? So I've been involved in both, in yeah, in both sets. And I kind of, I used to describe it as it went from more of a volunteer-based model to more of a professional-based model, right? And 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 what that means is like the board of directors. It used to be a hundred plus people on the board of directors. <laughs> Okay, I I was a border director once. How does that work? I mean, that's just I mean, it was a little bit insane. And back in the mid two thousands, um, the board directors decided to change, and the board like kind of was shortened to about about seven or eight people at the time. And there was athlete representatives, and it was kind of dictated by 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 the USOC at the time. And um, it just and then they hired a CEO, not just an exec director, and then. The CEO was then yeah, was then charged to kind of build an organization. There were still some pieces there, and that's why now you have a lot more you know kind of professional people at the yeah. like 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 at the home office, and then like it's more run based on the professional side as opposed to the volunteer side. Yeah. I although think I although there yeah. are still zone chairs, there are still zone boards, there is still representation. Um, and, uh, was it, um, and I believe it's, it's, it's a lot more efficient. It's a lot better f- for the growth of the organization and, you know, and very good things have happened. So I may, I think I got my dates wrong about when it actually changed. Cause I interviewed for a job there at, in 2000, way back in 2001. And I can't remember at the time that in fact, I'm, I, I'm afraid I'd actually don't even remember who the, uh, the chairperson was a guy from Jacksonville state. I can't remember. He was, I don't he was remember. there for, but like, I mean, there, no, there was a guy that was there like for like a, like a few Very months short period of time. and then, but yeah. like, I believe that like, that like the change happened in like 2005 or something. Okay. Like that, so. Fair enough. Yeah. So, um, it, it's interesting just to go back and Andy Burke was such an important part of that. He's one of those figures that, uh, is, is kind of, is largely well known throughout the entire country for being involved in the sport in different ways. And, uh, he in fact refereed, uh, several of my games when I was coaching out at Priory School in California. So I crossed paths w- with him as well. Yeah, I mean, and I was on like the events committee with him at times. This is back, you know, prior to 2005. And, you know, and just to kind of show you how different it used to be back then, again, the events committee used to get together and, and pretty much set the calendar for the entire year. Right. They used to like, um, okay, who's going to host this tournament? Who's going to host uh, men's nationals? Who's going to host women's nationals? Who's going to host JOs? And the, there was a whole talk about JOs, and they didn't know where they wanted to host it. So um, then we took a break, and during lunch, I went and I went to like the little office at the at the hotel. I typed up a bid for having JOs in Houston. Right. And then I turned around and I just listed a bunch of pools, and I and I and I went back and I turned it in, and they and they looked at it, they discussed it for like five, ten minutes to say, fine, all right, then we're going to have JOs in Houston. This is great. And then it just stood up and go, no, guys, I did this on purpose to show you how ridiculous this process is. <laughs> I go, we can't just throw, like willy-nilly start choosing. We need to have a little bit better process. I was a pain in the ass, I guess. But, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just, it, it was one of those things where, uh, you know, things were done not necessarily it, they, things were done to get stuff done quickly as opposed to, um, uh, you know, to get it done right. So. Yeah. Well, that's why you're there, Joe. That's the, you're straight, straighten it all out. No, I don't know about that, but, yeah. uh, but like, you know, it's, there is, uh, I mean, it was a lot of great people 
a lot of time and effort in, you know, and I'm not saying what happened before 2005 was wrong. It's just that that was just, you know, kind of, kind of one of the steps to get us to where we are now. Totally different. I mean, there were so many, I mean, exponentially fewer athletes, fewer clubs, uh, fewer high school teams, fewer high schools that were states that were sponsoring uh, high school water polo. It was just a completely different time. But anyway, here we are. We, we're here now. And speaking of high school water polo, we're a year away from UIL water polo. And so we're going to talk about that next. All of TX Water Polo is brought to you advertising free, and we'd like to keep it that way. So we're asking for your help. Show your support by going to txwaterpolo.com forward slash give so we can keep covering the sport we love in the Lone Star State. Hey, this is Max Irving from the U.S. Men's Senior National Team. And to get all things Texas water polo, I'm listening to the TX Water Polo Podcast. James and Joe back with you. As we said, uh, we're basically a year out from UIL water polo. We've been waiting for this for so long, it seems almost odd. And I know we have to wait another year, but given COVID, it seems like, you know, I don't know. Time is either going to pass very, very slowly or it's going to just emerge very quickly uh, before we know it. But um, we might want to go over a little bit, and this is, these are stories that we might have told separately over time, but you know, how, how in the world did we get here? I mean, this is good news, as uh, I've written and you've obviously talked about at, at detail, but uh, how is it that we even arrived at this point where we are suddenly going to have high school sanctioned water polo yeah so a lot of people worked very very hard you know getting getting the sanctioned process you know scott slay chris cohen um uh you know matt mcdonald the disco water polo board you know there's been a ton of effort throughout the years um i know uh there was tisco water polo representation at every at every single uil legislative council meeting over the last about eight years um and just slowly just built um and last October, in uh, October 2019, um, October 21st at 9.35 a.m. is when it was voted on. And yeah. it was said, yes, it's going to be the first sport added f- for the UIL since wrestling in 1997. So. Amazing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. We've, we've gone over the process a lot. Um, I'm, I'm curious about... Um, I want to talk about what it's going to look like next year because it is super interesting to think about this now as a UIL sport, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done before then. And I can, all, what comes to mind first is referees, but I'm sure there's lots more that you can think of that we need to get done before we start. Well, uh, number one is referees. And this upcoming Sunday, August 30th, there's going to be a beginner referee clinic. There you go. A little oh, bit, good. Uh, like good plug. A, a little bit of plug. Yeah. And, um, and it is... Uh, it, yeah, we need more referees. Obviously, we're hoping to have more games and more teams playing. But, you know, yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of education as far as the referees. There's going to be a lot of education as far as the um, coaches are concerned. Um, obviously, we need to, like, things get back to a little bit more normal here. We're not quite there yet, but we are getting much, much closer. Um, and then we can just kind of set schedules, and it's it's not just – it's just education, education, and education, and uh, I mean, and because we're gonna have a lot new. Uh, I mean, there's gonna be a lot of like a ton of new referees, a ton of new coaches. They need to learn what's going on, 
and we don't want them going in. We also have the final club season, um, hopefully this right. upcoming spring. I hope so, yeah. So that's going to allow you know some teams that are that are looking to play in fall twenty twenty one to have a bit of a dry run, you know, um, if they choose to. Um, and obviously, we're still going to be able to have our our final club state championship, which we didn't get to have this past spring. Um, and uh, was it? Um, I mean, and I mean, it's just it's you know, we still need to get um, all of the uh, um, like basically what happens is this upcoming um, fall, all the information is going to be sent from the UIL to the school districts, and then the school districts are going to. Uh, um, kind of look at that and decide if they want to play water polo or not, right? So, and then in December, January of this of the school year, they're like they they have to um, turn around and submit. These are the sports that we are playing for the following school year, right? So, um, and then the UAL is going to take all that and see who clip, who checked the, the the water polo box, and they're going to and they're going to put everybody in regions and districts and. Kind of and kind of set like the different, uh, um, like you know, like like the playoffs and such like that. Um, and so then everybody know, and then that'll be coming out what February, March next year. And then you know, in the in the from from February, March to the end of school, people are then going to be setting their um, schedules for you know, kind of leading up to district gameplay. How are they going to do their district play? You know, and then hopefully by the end of school, everybody has their schedules, and then it's going to start August 1. Do you think um, the way that, for example, games, uh, weeks, tournaments are scheduled is going to remain largely the same, or does the fact that it's a UIL sport change that process, or does it even matter? Oh, it's going to change it. I mean, basically, um, the, like, like the season's going to start August 1, and that's when, and that's when, that's when practice is going to happen, and then... There'll probably be a little bit of a period whenever you can't compete yet, and then for and then the first half of the season is going to be like tournaments, kind of what it's been in the past, right? Where anybody can go play, and and then you can also have some during the week um, uh, games against non-district opponents and such, mm-hmm. um, and that'll be like the first half of the of the season, and then the second half of the season is going to be where you have your district games. You know, and it might be where you play everybody in your district twice, you know, a home and home type thing. Then you have to schedule that out, whether it's like on a Saturdays or during the week games. And that'll be the second half. And then that'll lead into the first round of the playoffs. That's going to be, you know, the first week of October. The second round will be like the region championships are going to be in um, the second week of October. And then the state championships were, are going to be the uh, third weekend of October. So Wow. How does the, um, the the district competition get organized? And what I mean is you just mentioned that it maybe it'll be that the, everybody has to play uh, each other twice. But that's a decision that needs to be made whether you – and I know this just from experience, again, from uh, coaching in California, is that there's a board that gets together and says, well, this is – we're going to not do two games anymore. We're going to just do one. So who is going to make those kinds of decisions? Is that a joint – UIL and coaches association kind of thing. I believe that's going to be the uh, like like the UIL guidelines kind of kind of for the sport, but it's really going to be determined by all right how many teams are playing, right? Right. And then they have to see all right. Then this year, these are how many districts that we can have. These are this is how it's. These are the uh, like regions because every every two years, 
the UIL changes their yeah their region alignments because for all sports right yeah yeah for all sports and and that's also whenever schools can change their their designation from you know six A to five A or go or move up from five A to six A based off of their population so um so that like they put all that stuff together because you know like for other sports you know like a five A football team is not going to play a six A football team right. They're so, not. Um, or, I don't know this thing. Or they're yeah. not going to. Or they're not going to be in the same district and such. Right. So, um, so basically, they're going to take all that information and then kind of set the districts. And then you know, if they if there's ten teams per district, it may not be able to play. Right. Exactly. A home and home. But if there's only five teams per district, well, yeah, well, well, yeah, well, then you play a home and home. It really depends. But you know, or you if, split it into conferences or something like and, that. But if you look at basketball, you look at volleyball. A lot of it is a home and home type series. So. Yeah. Which is better? I mean, except well, it's better in theory. Uh, I'm just thinking in terms of the West region. You know, there's just not that many facilities, so home and home might not mean a whole lot. Well, I don't think there's going to be a West home. region anymore. Really? I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't think they're going to keep the same regions that we have currently for club water polo. It's going to be a different structure. Oh, I see. It's, yeah. I mean, it's going to be a different structure on how things are combined. Like, for example, you know, like Alma Heights in San Antonio, they used to, like, their their region championship, I think they had to go to um, Houston for. It's this last year? Or for, for like, swimming. For, for oh, like, I see. For, for yes. like, swimming. So, Got like, it. you know, there's, like, there's like, like you know, half of, half of Austin has to go down to San Antonio. Or, you know, or, you know, like, up, like, like in North Texas, you have, um, you know, like, like, you know, people like, you know, kind of South Lake Carroll was the big dog on the block for swimming, right? They won eight or eight boys championships, you know, and there'd be of like, they would have a, a region or district alignment to where they're in with the Plano schools one year. And then the next year they have to go all the way over to Amarillo and go swim. Huh. So, I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, it changes every couple of years because, you know, schools go up designations or, or go down designations and, you know, and, uh, yeah, I mean, and their schools added all the time now too. So, yeah, but well, that also makes a huge, huge difference. So a team like Waco Midway, are they basically going to be, you know, again, we're speculating, but you think that they would be more affiliated with North Texas than Austin? It's going to be, it's good just going to be based off the number of teams. Okay. Yeah, um, this is new stuff for me, actually. This is something you and I need to talk about off the air because I want to sort of plot it out the way that it, it should look because I haven't given it as much thought as I should have, obviously, because yeah. uh, it is just so different. And I'm not, I, don't, I can't confess to uh, following a whole, whole lot of uh, high school sports other than water polo. So, some, you know, we're, we're affiliated with swimming in its own way, but still, it's not, uh, it, it doesn't really resonate with me. So now I gotta, I've got to figure out what this is going to look like. Okay. No, it's, yeah, it's, um, I mean, no, it's going to be, I mean, it's, it's going to be a challenge here over the next year. There's lots and lots to do, um, but that's okay. Just get, just kind of like from our, from like my perspective, it's like about just providing the education pieces, but yeah, just providing as much information out there for people to come. And then, you know, just talk to coaches, talk to athletic directors too. Okay. You have some questions about the sport and then how everything's going to work here. Like here, like, um, I'll sit down with you and, uh, and talk to you about the, about the issues that are specific to your school. I, I suspect that it's also going to be some uh, teaching upward. 
because uh, UIL, as gracious as they've been to include the sport, they don't really know it. And uh, so, you know, it, it's we, we talk about all these conventions about how this, this is how sports are scheduled in general, but sometimes that might not apply for water polo. It might not be useful so anyway I, i'm i'm definitely curious about this next year this is going to be very very interesting yeah well scott well scott Slea and the tisca water pool board are going to be working hand in hand with the uil to make sure that this all is as far as the bones and and like you know and the rules and the districts all work in concert so, right yeah and uh was it and we're looking forward to i mean we're i mean there's also there's talk about having different referee kind of kind of organizations to really Amplify the number of, of uh, officials. You know, get yeah, get more soccer referees, get more basketball referees, get more spring current spring sport referees to come out. You know, okay. I mean, it's just you know, there's a ton of behind the scenes conversations out there. Obviously, a lot of these conversations kind of went on hold a little bit. You know, with COVID here in yes. March, but you know, and there's a lot of other. Uh, kind of more pressing things to happen that the, yeah, that are happening like right now, like in the spring, there was the cancellation of sports and right now it's just the resuming of sports or yeah, just resuming of school. Form. And yeah. uh, I mean, so, you know, it's, and that's fine. I mean, we just, you know, I think there's a ton of good people on the UIL side, the Tisca side, the Tisca water pole side that are all kind of working together to make this happen. What do you know about uh, about the referee situation? Because we talked about this when the decision was made last fall, um, and that there were, and I wrote about it as well on the site, which was that uh, there are basically three scenarios. There may be more than that. Um, is, has there been any, I don't know, conversation, movement in any direction whatsoever with with referees? I mean, I mean, I mean, there's just, there, it's just, it's just going through the process, and you know, and kind of, yeah, and kind of once that process is done, you know, there, yeah. Yeah, there will be some different announcements made. Okay, that's a cryptic. I think you know more than you're willing to share, which is uh, not unusual. Yeah. Well, we'll revisit that, um, but next we'll come back with uh, your conversation with uh, Chris Jones from SciFair. Hi, this is Natalie Benson, and you are listening to a podcast about water polo in Texas. Today we have Chris Jones, who is one of the aquatics directors in Cy Fair ISD, Cypress Fairbanks ISD. Sorry, I got to use the full term here, right? So um, Chris is uh, currently one of the aquatics directors, kind of again. He's, he was also a longtime swim coach at Foster High School um, and also at Langham Creek High School. Chris, uh, welcome. Um, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. It's been uh been a long day already. <laughs> long day already. So are, so are you guys getting ready for the hurricane that's coming? We have our school district uh, are shut down. Uh, we prepared the pools. Uh, we sent our text in this morning to make sure the pools were all prepped and ready, just in case that we lost power. Um, so it's it, we are we are hurricane ready as, as much as we can be. Uh, we've done a, our district's done a really good job um, learning from the past and making sure that we have people in place and, and teachers in place. So when we do have to shut down and prepare for a natural disaster, that uh, we have everything kind of as best that we can, so that we walk back into. Uh, some kind of an organized chaos. Yeah. And uh, it's one of those things where um, it's, it happens every year now or a couple times yes. a year. And yes. there might be another one next week, right? So That's right. So, We're getting so. good at the practice. Well, I, I just, uh, yeah, just be safe, stay inside, get, yeah, and, t- and have plenty of bottled water, right? So. Right. Right. All right. So here, so Chris is with us today. He wears many, many hats. And one of those hats is he is on the Tisca board. 
a lot of people out there, they don't, they've heard the word Tisca thrown around. They, they know what Tisca water polo is, but what is Tisca? Tisca is the Texas Interscholastic Swim Coaster Association. Basically, we are a group of uh, high school swim coaches, dive coaches, water polo coaches from around the state of Texas. We all get together um, to do sharing of education, you know, share ideas, share um, professional develop, kind of grow our coaches naturally. Um, we also work very, very close with UIL and how they change uh, swimming, diving, and water polo policies and procedures here in the state of Texas. Um, and a lot of our, 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 our Former board members, current board members serve on different uh, national boards. Uh, one of our uh, former presidents serves um, on the rules committee for uh, the national head, national federation of high schools when they come up with new diving uh, rules or new rules for swimming and diving uh, for the high school levels. She serves on that board too. And then we've got one that serves on the National Interscholastic Swim Coaches Association, which is a, a U.S. nationwide coaches association um, for coaches that are you know, involved in the sport, trying to grow education, um, grow coaches, grow the sport um, on all, all different platforms, so. And so now, um, and now everybody of course has heard of what Tisca water polo is. So what is the relationship between Tisca and Tisca so water polo? And Tisca, Tisca and Tisca water polo are one and the same actually. Um, Tisca water polo is a subset of Tisca. So we have Tisca swimming, Tisca diving, Tisca water polo. Everybody kind of just uses Tisca, wa Tisca as a journal term. Tisca water polo is just kind of one of our branches. Um, it kind of got out a little bit. <clears throat> it got, kind of got out on its own a little bit there uh, back in the early 2000s and kind of got reeled back in a little bit later in the 2000s and kind of went back out on their own a little bit. Um, so they've kind of had their own agenda for a little while, trying to get water polo push to become a state uh, sanctioned UIL sport. Um, so the current administration, uh, Melissa Howard and Mike Waldman, and brought myself back on uh, last year as a treasurer. Uh, we've kind of helped Tisco water polo become more involved in the actual Tisca, you know, bringing them back under the umbrella to make sure that you know, when you talk to UIL, you want a unified front. Um, and Tisca can't have 47 people speaking for Tisca. Um, they, the UIL has made it very clear they want to talk to one organization, one group of leadership, um, and they want to make sure that everybody under that umbrella, if they use the name of TISCA, everybody has the same front. So we've brought TISCA water polo, you know, back from out there floating on their own, uh, kind of fighting an uphill battle to kind of help give them a, a bigger voice with UIL. You know, those relationships are hard to come by sometimes. Um, TISCA likes to focus on, you know, or the UIL likes to focus on making sure that you know, they've got a, a big voice um, and you're talking to superintendents from across the state of Texas and they want to make sure that, you know, you're talking, you know exactly what you're talking about, you know, what, what you're doing, what your mission is, what's your plan, how are you helping the, the athlete, student athletes um, across the state of Texas with your sports. Um, so that's kind of what Tisco Water Polo is. They, you know, they have their own separate um, board, uh, uh, regional reps, um, and they report to a Tisco um, a water polo chair that reports to our executive board um, annually um, at our fall clinic and, and our spring clinic meetings. Our spring mm -hmm. meetings, kind of give update what's going on in the world. They kind of they kind of do the driving force, and we kind of help you know where we can and what they need to kind of get that 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 push going. Sure yeah, and I, and, and and I think one of the the major uh, factors along the way. Um, and this is this is what if anybody kind of listens to me, um, actually what they. Um, I actually kind of say that, you know, one of the most important aspects of the whole UIL sanctioning process was kind of aligning with 
you know, kind of Tisca and, and having that buy-in from the Tisca, which is not, which was not easy. And that no. happened about, and that happened about five or six years ago. I mean, you were a swim coach at the time, probably just kind of an observer kind of, kind of, kind of tell us from uh, your perspective about that process. So back when I started the coaching, um, you know, I didn't know anything about water polo. I mean, it was, we kind of did it as a fun thing. Um, I, you know, I started my, my coaching career at Langham Creek on, on a whim. I got, I started, my very first meet was a district swimming. So I stepped in for <laughs> all, <laughs> I made a swim lineup. I got lucky. We won districts, regionals, and we probably would have stayed at the state flag had I not stayed not DQ'd a, a relay. But, um, you know, we played water polo in the spring and we were trying to figure this out. And I went to a couple of meetings to try to learn out what the sport was. I thought it was really cool. Um, something that would be, I think, going to be a great uh, cross-training for swimming and, and give these kids another opportunity. Um, then I moved to Foster High School that following fall, and, you know, we again, we did water polo in the spring, but I didn't know enough about it. Um, there wasn't enough education for me, um, and, you know, the swim season is so long, by the time you get to the spring, it's hard to kind of switch that hat over and go, all right, well, what do I need to learn about water polo? And kids have never played before, it can be a, 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 a a large undertaking, I guess you could say, um, you know, and, and you have to have kids have buy-in. So it took a little while to get buy-in. And I think that's been the biggest problem is uh, if you looked at what water polo was trying to do at the upper level um, back in when I first started coaching, we had coaches going in every different direction. So we had um, Coach McDonald from Houston Lamar has been a driving force since I've been in swimming. I mean, I Coach McDonald's preached water polo for as long as had. Uh, great uh, Tom Landgraf, um, he was there. You know, that was the Houston area guys. Those they were the driving force behind it. And, you know, I saw some of the stuff going on at the leadership level and heard about what they try to push to UIL. And I was like, okay, I didn't know a lot about it. You know, now that we've kind of gotten back into it, and I've gotten back into the sport after leaving for a couple of years, kind of saw what we were doing. We were kind of just, you know, we we're taking one step forward, two steps back. We kind of, you know, after sitting through some of the board meetings at the UIL, listening to what the superintendents, um, questions they asked, and the other organizations that were trying to get the sports um, approved. You know, I've sit, you know, Bridge was there, eSports is the next big one, but bowling was there for a while, rugby, you know, you have to kind of listen to lacrosse, listening to what they were saying over and over again, and listening to the comments coming back from the UIL, I knew that you know, if we needed it to, we wanted this to happen, we had to take a different approach. So, I, in the last stuff, six or seven years, that approach has happened. Everybody's kind of come together. Uh, everybody's had a, more of a unified front. You know, we we did you know ask a lot of questions. We, UIL got a new um, director for uh, associate director for of the swimming uh, contact, and she was she was very honest and open with us and said, "Hey, this is what y'all need to do. This is how y'all need to go about what y'all need to do." And so we kind of got everybody. All, I wouldn't say all our ducks in a row, but we did a good job of trying to bring them together into a row. Um, they're kind of in the same pool now, instead of being spread out and you know trying to get push one way and push another way. But so it was a process, uh, and like any other sports, and sitting through those meetings and listening to uh, Superintendent Pool from Barker Hills say, you know, we haven't approved a UIL sport since wrestling back in 2001. I mean, it was a big almost almost 20 years ago now, and having to go all right well now that we've kind of got a unified front and now we've kind of got to answer the questions that you've asked us to answer and we've got the, the draw what what next so yeah. and and kind of one of the main yeah kind of one of the people at on the ua legislative council that was one of the driving forces of 
water polo being passed back in October of 2019 with Dr. Mark Henry of uh, CFISD. He's the superintendent there. I mean, absolutely. just tell us a little, a little bit about uh, Dr. Henry. Dr. Henry is a great man. Uh, I do not envy him or his job right now uh, with everything going on uh, in the world today and in the school system and how we're having to deal with this current pandemic and then with now with the hurricane. Um, he has, he has, he's got a tough job. You know, we were one of the second or third largest districts in the state of Texas. So he's got a lot on his plate, um, but uh, he does take a very big passion into what he does. He is a former coach. So he came from a coaching, so he has a coaching mindset. Um, so he understands what, what we're trying to do on uh, at all levels, you know, whether it be football, basketball, baseball, or in our case, swimming, water polo, and diving. He's, he's really, he understands, you know, what we do on day in, day out. Um, so the fact that he was on a committee that, you know, our, our district's very large in water polo. I mean, we've been doing water polo for as long as I can find records for. Um, John Webb was at Side Creek for a while. You know, he's got, they've got banners all over our walls. Um, I can't think of the other guy that was there, but he did well. Jeff Chandler's there now. We've got banners from water polo state champions. Um, you know, we've got other schools in our district that Jersey Village and, and, and Bay Springs and our new school, Bridgeland, they're, they're, they're all getting really heavy into it. They're really excited about it because, you know, we, we've been playing for so long and it's finally time that, you know, we've got uh, some recognition and hopefully that UIL push. So Dr. Henry, you know, we've talked about that. When our department was created, those questions were asked, you know, do we play water polo? Why do we want to play water polo? He wants to go, you know, being on a policy committee, it's not the athletics mode, so it's a different route that was taken, but it was still the same, you know, you had to go through the same process to be vetted. Questions had to be asked and answered, tough questions. You know, is this something that's going to be uh, financially capable for some of these districts outside of us? Uh, when it came down to the big bow at the end, I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of discussion. Um, the athletics chair um, asked a lot of hard questions. You know, the, the other members of the, the it, it's a political game. You know, who's questioning what, who's doing what, um, how are we going to pay for it, how are we going to do this? And, and it came down to Dr. Henry. He made a great, uh, great line, and I'll never forget it. You know, it's, you know, I've sat on this committee for so many years. Uh, I've approved different sports and different changes um, to help those schools at the, at the lower levels um, be successful and give their student athletes the opportunity to play. Now, I'm just asking for you guys to do the same for us. You know, our kids want other things to do. They want this activity. They want to be able to be involved in their schools, in their in their school districts. Um, they want the opportunity to play. Just let them play, and that's what I'm asking here today. Um, to let, let, you know, you may not want to do water polo and that's fine. I'm not asking you to take it on, but let us play. So, you know, he stood up for water polo um, and something, everything was passed. You know, we, we passed on to become a pilot program, which, which you know, it's not the same route as some sports go, but I think in the grand scheme of things, it's a, it's a good right way to go. The pilot program will allow for changes. So if we don't like the way things are going, they can review it. You know, if they, had be approved it straight up as a as a sport and required it to be done. Couldn't make changes. No, it couldn't. There couldn't be changes the way that the formats, the, the scheduling, uh, the tournaments, how they're going to run it. The pilot program allows for us to kind of try that out, uh, try to figure out what works best for us. You know, UIL wanted to, their their spring is so busy with so many other state championships. Um, that was the only spot for it right now is to stick UIL in the fall. Um, and it upset a lot of a lot of coaches. Um, a lot of coaches worried about, well, how's it going to affect my swim team? And how, you know, so the next the next step is is to kind of get that buy-in. Um, and we talked about that a little bit earlier with buying in. And 
that's our that's our next plan is as a fiscal board is to make sure that people understand that we're not trying to take away their jobs. We're not trying to take away their uh, their swim teams. You know, we're just trying to add to it. Well, I mean, there's I mean, there, there's gonna be a little bit of an overlap there in September, but it's more of a scheduling and logistics thing than anything else. And correct. And, I mean, swimming. This, as everybody knows, the swim season is a very long swim season. Or it's, I mean, it's one of the longer swim seasons across the country. And, uh, you know, um, you know, it's just, you know, let's schedule accordingly. And let's, and, and every, and every school district has their own um, challenges. You know, do they, so uh, kind of do they have their own pool or do they rent a pool? Do they have assistant coaches or do they just have one coach? Um, do they, um, are like, and how is that school district going to approach it? Are they going to hire their own water polo coach independent of swim coaches? Are they just going to give the swim coaches the ability to coach water polo? Are they going to have the assistant baseball coach kind of come over and be the head, yeah, like the head water polo coach? I mean, and everybody has different ways as far as what they're approaching. And, you know, like, you know, the UAL is going to present all the rules and this is, this is in the, and all the data and everybody's going to be able to make a decision here this upcoming school year. And um, it's going to be exciting. I mean, there's a lot of education that's going to be in place, kind of, kind of moving forward. So I'm, I'm like, uh, uh, I'm kind of looking forward. But I do, I do appreciate you kind of going over that as far as the Tisca and kind of, and kind of some of the, kind of, kind of, kind of peeling back the curtain a little bit. So absolutely, absolutely. You know, a lot of people don't see that. So it, you know, when you have to understand how much goes on behind the scenes, you know, and it happens. You know, I've been fortunate to sit through a lot of those UIL meetings and. They're long. They're tedious at times because you're not. You're, they're talking about everything. Anything that happens, at school, music, art, uh, performing arts, all those kind of things have to. All those have meetings have to happen. All those those conversations have to happen. So, you know, if you want to put hats off. It's hats off to those superintendents that you know they've got to make some very tough decisions and they got to sit through a lot of those long meetings. So, you know, they they've got the real work. You know. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 I mean, now, now I'm just going to like on, like on a separate note, you know, you, you run a school district facility and we can't have a conversation now without kind of bringing up COVID. Right. So, um, and as everybody knows, it's, um, there's, there's like three types of pools out there, right? There's the private pool, there's the uh, public pool, and then there's the school district pool. And the school district pools have been a little bit more cautious as far as opening up to outside users or even opening up to their own user groups. Um, how is your school to kind of, you know, approach it from the aquatics standpoint as far as COVID is concerned? So in, in the past, you know, aquatics was kind of, you know, I, I say this jokingly, um, tongue in cheek, kind of, you know, we're the wicked stepchildren of athletics. Um, you know, as long as we're not causing problems, you know, they're not, they're not bothering us. Um, with all of this COVID going on, you know, it kind of had to change a little bit. You know, they were, they took a, okay, we've got to look at everybody. Um, so it's been a little different it's been a lot of change for us uh we we had to look at what was the safest thing to get our athletes in the water first um and that's kind of the approach that our district took is making sure that our athletes were safe when they when they entered our facilities um you know there's been a lot of recommendations come out you know not every nobody knows how to how to deal with this properly i mean it, it's everybody has a different idea of how to do it um usa water or usa swimming usa polo usa diving actually everyone has put out know a guideline how to you know maintain social distancing how to interact how to sanitize you know a lot of that was those you know cdc they put out a lot of information you know school districts had to take that and make their own plans for it our district did a great job uh, i was part of the safety coming up for our swim stuff looking at swim uh, our swim meets and things coming up in the fall um you know we've got a lot of stuff that 
is it easy? No. Um, does it keep our kids safe? Yes. And that's the most important part. You know, and we've taken the processes when our kids are safe, then we can start to slowly open up to our outside group. Um, we, we, we are very reserved. You know, like I said, we're one of the largest districts in the state of Texas, top three dis large districts. So we've got a lot of kids um, and there's a lot of community members that are involved. So we want to take um, our athletic department and our superintendents, they, they want to take a very slow process um, because if they didn't want something to happen and things to spread very quickly and, and, and shut us back down. So we've had to, you know, talk to our club teams and our, our renters and, uh, you know, our users that have, have booked our, our facility um, months out and said, hey, you know, right now we have to shut down. Um, our priority is, is, is here in the district and with our kids. Um, you know, it's not that we, we don't trust that you're going to do what you're going to do and do the safe things. It's, you know, we've got to look out for, our taxpayers dollars and, and it's our kids so no i mean it's just it's, it's one of those things where i kind of agree with you i mean it's it's you know i used to joke around or not i don't i still do it's like you know aquatics directors they used to uh make kind of 90 percent of the decisions on their own they didn't really have to ask it like you know permission nowadays it's like 90 percent of the decisions have to be approved now. correct I mean, because everybody, because this is a this is a different time. This is this these yeah these are times that we haven't gone through. So a lot of the of decisions aren't even being made by the acquirer or the athletic director, even higher than that. And I mean, it's there's a lot of lawyers involved. <laughs> so there are a lot of lawyers involved. Yes, and, sir. Um, and that's and that's kind of one thing that a lot of people just don't understand. It's not just aquatics. Oh, it's well, like. Like there's a bunch of chlorine in, in, in the water. Oh, why can't we get in? Well, no, it's more than just that. It's right. like, you know, it's more than just getting back into the pool and just throwing people out there. There's multiple other things and aspects to consider. You know, I mean, just kind of kind of give me your thoughts on that. I mean, I mean, it's like if you open up the pool, then you have to open up the gym, then you have to open up the fields, and then you have to open up this. So correct. We gotta, you know, it starts at the front door. And even before you get to the front door, you know. How those kids, how do you maintain the social distancing between those kids? How are you protecting those kids before they even enter your facilities? You know, as soon as they open the door, you know, what are they going to touch? Everything that they touch becomes potential, you know, breeding ground or, or area for someone else to get something. Um, so we've had to take an approach from, you know, lines to get the door, temperatures being taken prior to the walk through the facility. You know, once they walk into locker rooms, how, how do we how do we clean behind each one of those? You know. It's, yeah, it's a huge process. We've got yeah, X's on the floors. On floor we got lines on the floor. We got dots on the floor. We got hand sanitizer everywhere. You know, I, I say, kind of jokingly, but true. But, you know, we are actually the safest sport right now. When you think about it, our kids are swimming in, in bleach water. I mean, nothing going to survive bleach water. Um, but it's it's getting them to that bleach water and getting them out of that bleach water that we have to worry about. You know, from the time they walk in that door to the time they walk out that back door, we need to make sure that you know. We are doing everything that we possibly can to keep them as safe as possible. And that's the hard part that some people don't understand, especially about trying to get back into the I know a lot of, of, of club programs use school facilities um, across the state. And I know there's been a lot of a lot of talk about why we are the slowest ones to open back up because you know, we do have the biggest population to talk about. We do have those kids, you know, everybody goes to a public school. We gotta worry about it. You know, they may not get it at the pool, but what happens if you know, they touch the same uh, crash bar walking out the door and then take it back to the school campus? Or, you know, they were playing on a basketball gym, um, that, you know, and they sat next to somebody and accidentally coughed on them. And then they worked themselves into the school and they coughed on the desk and it just continued to spread from there. So 
it, it, you have to look at, um, everybody's kind of looking at, at, at a box and going, well, we can't do this. Why can't we do this? Why can't we do this? But you can't, you know, a lot of people have a hard time looking outside that box and seeing the real big picture when it comes down mm-hmm. to it. Like I said, I don't, I don't envy our, our school uh, superintendents and lawyers jobs right now because they have the hardest job. They've got to make those decisions and they're not affecting one, two, ten, hundred. They're affecting tens of thousands of students, teachers, um, and other staff members um, that are, have to come into work and walk through those hallways and, and, and do their jobs on a daily basis and do it safely. So there's a reason superintendents make a lot of money, and you know they're going to earn every single seven this year. <laughs> and it and it and it seems that they're like they're making what they're making decisions that's going to be best for their school district. Because I look at all the different school districts around the state and there's a, like you asked 10 different school districts about their plan on going back to school. Right. Um, and is it going to be a, is, is it going to be in person at home as kind of, kind of synchronous or asynchronous and you will get eight or nine different answers. Right. Everybody's different. It's almost like they're not talking to each other, but they probably are, but they're going to, but they're making decisions that's best for themselves. Like, so do you talk to other aquatics directors and such like that? We have actually, uh, we reach out to the different, the surrounding districts and talk to them and say, hey, what are y'all doing? You know, a lot of the talks recently, you know, lane space, you know, currently we started with just having two kids per lane, one on each end of the pool. Well, you know, starting on Monday, surprised that the hurricane hasn't kept us out of the pool, uh, we'll go to three, three lit swimmers per lane. We'll start uh, when school kicks off for us September 8th, we'll go to four. And up from there, you know, it, it's, you know, we reached out to Fort Bend and Katie and Klein and, and the Woodlands right around the Spring Ranch. And we ta- asked those questions. Hey, what are y'all doing? What are we doing? They asked us those questions. What are y'all doing? What are y'all doing about cleaning this? And so, <clears throat> yes, you're going to get a lot of different decisions, um, but they got to look at the demographics and they got to look at the, their capabilities and, and their school districts. Um, you know, our, like I said, we're very large. We have a lot of support staff. Our Operations department is huge. Um, they were able to order a lot of hand sanitizer stations, a lot of cleaning products for us. You know, some of those districts may not have the the budgets that we had. Uh, we they had the flexibility. We decided over the summer to make become a one-on-one uh, school district, which means every student at some point will have a uh, a computer device that they can connect um, remotely from anywhere. Uh, they'll have a hotspot and a laptop or a tablet that they can connect remotely. So if we have a, uh, an issue like this where we can't go back to school, that education continues. But that was a $44 million decision that a lot of school districts can't do. You know, we, we, our district has done a really good job of making sure uh, to balance their budgets, you know, and keep the property taxes low. So, you know, some of those school districts don't have that, that luxury. Um, so, you know, that's why you're gonna get 17 different decisions from 17 different school districts because they have what they have. Fort Bend SD decided, you know, based on their population, it was better for them to go completely virtual um, because they couldn't face everybody out. You know, they couldn't create a safe environment for people to enter schools, um, you know, during a high high heat rate or whatever the index was, the high index for the the testing. So they were like, no, we're just going to go virtual, let everything kind of calm down before we bring our students back. Yeah. Um, That that works for them. And right now there is no wrong plan. Right. It's what is in front of you. You have to then make your choices when they're as a parent, as a student, as as a coach, as a teacher. So yeah. So but now here, just pivoting back to uh, Tisca for a sec. Yep. Tisca Clinic and the Tisca Water Polo Annual Meeting is coming up here um, in September. I know it's going to be the same dates, but uh, can you give a little bit of an update for those coaches that are listening? 
Absolutely. Uh, Tisco convention is still going to happen. Um, we made the decision uh, the end of last month, early part of this month, to move to a virtual platform. Um, we were holding out hope. We had reservations locked in to go to the DoubleTree Hotel um, based on the local you know, city guidelines about group sizes and things, uh, and talking with uh, Swim Shop Southwest, who is our, our main sponsor for that. Uh, it was decided that we should go to a virtual platform, and so we've been working through uh, different platform ideas. Um, we have a meeting scheduled uh, later this week to kind of finalize how we're going to go about that. Um, Texas High School Coach Association has over 14,000 members, and they went to a virtual platform that worked very well. Um, so we're kind of trying to take a little bit of lead from them, ask some questions of them, and how did they do that? Uh, I know the Texas Basketball Coach Association, same thing. Um, so we're kind of getting reaching out to those other organizations that have already had their clinics and, and asking some very hard questions and you know, how did they make it successful? How did they work it? Um, so we are going to do that virtual platform. Uh, we are going to have some talks from some really great uh, waterfall coaches and, and swim coaches and dive coaches um, from across the state and even you know, if it comes get lucky enough to get some from around the nation um, to be able to talk virtually. Um, and have uh, believe, as far as waterfall, I believe Guy Baker is slated to. I, I, he is, and I am looking forward to that conversation. I'm, yeah. look, I'm looking forward to his talk um, and learning a little bit more about how he approached the game and how he approaches um, building programs and, and what he did. And um, it's exciting times. I mean, we yeah. now that it's becoming a sport, you know, we're going to need that education. We're going to need those those. You know, how do we do things? You know, and just like we learn from, you know, I know the football coaches get a lot of big games to come to theirs and, and talk about how they do things. You know, that's kind of where we are with water polo. You know, we're getting an opportunity for some big names and come on out and, you know, come out and enjoy the sport, learn how to play the sport. Let's do it the right way. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Well, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. Good luck over the next couple of days. I hope you stay dry. I'm not going to, as far as your house is probably not going to, but um, you know, um, just good luck to everybody back down in Houston. Um, I hope everybody stays safe. Um, obviously with, yeah, with COVID still out there, everybody just stay safe and wash your hands. But thanks for the time, Chris. Absolutely. Y'all stay safe as well and uh, look forward to seeing you poolside real soon. All right. right, That was uh, Joe's conversation with Chris Jones. Uh, Obviously, thank you to him. Um, Just a couple other things to wrap up the day. Um, What are you doing? (laughs) This is what I'm curious about because, I mean, I'm coaching. You're coaching a bit. You're a very busy guy. But, you know, we're still sort of stuck inside for the most part. So what are you doing with your time? I just, you know, I'm just, I'm just on the phone and been kind of sending emails kind of, kind of all the all time, work. obviously. And, uh, all work. no, but you know, you know, like I was up in my in-laws this past, like the last couple of days oh, yeah. uh, when I was staying in North Texas and, and they weren't there cause they actually bought a house down in that dad, yeah, dad down in San Antonio. So I'm staying at their old house. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, man, they have the simplest cable package I've ever heard of in my entire life. So, I mean, they have a cable package that it's actually cable, you know, and it is, they do not have TBS or TNT or CNN or ESPN. All they have basically is the local channels. Have you ever heard of a cable package with only the local channels? No, who, you, this is fascinating. Who, who is the provider? Uh, Verizon. Verizon. Or Frontier, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So it's that, just it just it just boggled my mind that you could actually pay for that. Like, I know. You know, it, without an antenna. I mean, it's just like I mean, I like really. This is all they have because I wanted to watch the basketball game. Yeah. Like, oh my lord, this is this is this yeah this yeah this is horrible. So. 
<laughs> Look, they've simplified their lives because it's so complicated now. I mean, it used to be that you had the TV channels on the air, that, and that was about it. Then there was cable, and then there, but at least they were throwing packages at you. You had no choice. Now it's like everything's a la carte. Like you just can pick and choose what you want. And you have the, have the inevitable, inevitable problem, which is that there's just too much stuff out there, and you can't really you know, be discerning about I, what you're going to watch. I had the opposite problem. There's only like three choices. Do you know what I did? I turned off the TV and read a book. Oh, you're so you're so mature. My goodness. <laughs> uh, it was a Jack Reacher book. It wasn't really yeah. that mature. <laughs> I, I'm actually reading Dostoevsky, and it is a slog. Like oh, I, 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 I read before I go to bed, and I, reading causes me to fall asleep, which is not necessarily a good thing. But holy crud, I go through three, four, five pages, and then I'm like, okay, that, time for bed. And that'll take you five years to finish that book then. Nah, I remember when I was in the Soviet Union, I read War and Peace, which was not the right thing to do because I was so depressed when I was there, but uh, I finished it. Yeah, no problem. Mm-hmm. It was, and that's like a thousand pages, I think, something like that. And on that note, that on is that the note, TX Water Polo Podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Um, thanks again to Chris Jones for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you for listening, for telling a friend about the TX Water Polo podcast, and special thanks to all of our donors, our gifters. I got I have a script in front of me. I have to change the word donors to, to gifters or givers or something like that because uh, donors implies nonprofit, which is not the case here. Uh, but if you do want a gift, go to txwaterpolo.com forward slash give. And until next week, so long from Austin. This has been a production of TWP Sports, LLC.